Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We've uh, sensed you leading us, speaking with us, stirring us, encouraging us, speaking truth to our hearts. Lord, we, we love the opportunity to come and get involved in corporate worship. We're so grateful to you for this gift of worship and uh, we want to continue father in the same spirit of worship and adoration and submission and surrender to you because you are the only one who we want to give our lives to and so we ask speak to us encourage us correct us rebuke us if we need that Lord, challenge us lead us and father we can ask you to do those things and some of them quite difficult. A rebuke and a challenge don't always seem very comfortable, but actually we can ask you to do it with great confidence because we know that when you do, it comes from a heart of compassionate Father love for us. And so we ask, do what you would and what you will in us. And we ask it in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I I don't know about you, I I love that poem from the book of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I find the words incredibly moving because they describe with beauty and eloquence different seasons, different moments of our lives. These words can help us to understand and interpret a particular experience that we might be going through. They can also provide us with insight into what might be the right course of action for us at a particular moment in life. They can help us to read the signs, and they can act as a prophetic provocation to us. And that writer, he uses two words. He uses the words time and season. 
and a time can be quite short. And so actually when you look at some of those phrases that are up there, it's quite possible that you can do one of those things one minute and the next minute you're moving on to something else. You may decide, actually, I need to tear down that particular relationship and by doing that, it will enable me to move right into healing and building back up a relationship that that I've let go, that I need to heal. And so sometimes it's a time, it's a short period of time. We do that and we're on to the next thing. And sometimes, as the writer says, it's a season, which means it's going to last a little bit longer. And just as we go through both times and seasons as individuals in our lives, we also go through times and seasons as a corporate body of his people, as the church. And that's always been the case. If you look right back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, it talks about a time of scattering for the church. When it comes under persecution after Stephen has been stoned, the first Christian martyr, and he's been stoned, and then it says that the church in Jerusalem was scattered. It went through a season of scattering. Now, what it also says, which is fantastic, is that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So what we, what we might see in initially as very negative the church persecuted, this tiny fledgling church just born, the Lord Jesus has not long been resurrected and ascended into heaven and suddenly this new church, suddenly it's scattered, but God's in it. And as it's scattered, wherever they go, they preach the word. It's, it's about passing on and moving on the message of the gospel. But then it goes through another season that it says in Acts 9, just the next chapter, it then says, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. See, God takes us as individuals and also takes us as a church through seasons. But the the great thing that we pick up from both those short passages in Acts is that whether the season is a difficult one and you're scattered, or whether it's a time of peace, God's in both and brings about his purposes for his church and for us out of both. He brings it out of a scattering and he brings it out of a time of peace. That is encouraging for us. It means that whatever season of life as individuals and as a church we face, we know that God is in them and he will bring good. See, life is not just neutral. And we can be tempted to feel that life is just a bit neutral. But actually, it isn't neutral, (laughs) And it's really important for us to read the signs and not just to think, okay, well, tomorrow I'm doing this and this seems to be happening in my life at the moment. That's interesting, isn't it? But actually this passage, which we're not particularly going to focus on today, but just I felt to bring it to start off at the word this morning, just encourages us to be aware of the signs of the times in our lives. To pause and think, God, why is... Okay, what are you saying? Are you saying something here to me? Is there something that I should be doing? Should I be acting? Is there something I need to tear away? Is there something that I need to uproot? Is there something I need to build? Lord, something's happening in my life. Circumstances, there's something happening. I need to learn to read the signs of the times. Jesus encouraged that, actually, 
uh, in the New Testament, uh, he talked about reading the signs of the times and talk, talked about a farmer and how farmers are, are really good at reading, reading the weather, reading the seasons, and that it's important for us to do the same. And we've talked already this morning, uh, John's already mentioned the sort of season of the, the church life that we currently feel that we're in at the moment, and um, it's interesting that 12 weeks ago today we had our 10th anniversary celebration, which was a great day together to celebrate 10 years as a church, and we had lots of people come back who'd been part of the church previously, and it was a wonderful celebration, and lots of food, and balloons, and all sorts of stuff, and in the midst of this, Martin brings this word. Martin brings this word and says, Church, it's time to sharpen your swords. And uh, I think I've said up here before, I found that a little bit odd at the time. I thought, Martin, will you bring a word like that for today? It's a celebration. I think you've got that a bit wrong, mate. (laughs) The Bible says, don't despise prophecy. I learned a lesson from that, I tell you. Because Martin's word has proved to be absolutely right. You sharpen swords for a season of going into battle, don't you? You don't sharpen swords if you're expecting peace. You sharpen swords when you're expecting that there's a battle coming. And uh, the last few weeks have just shown us that we're in a spiritual battle and more and more uh, prophetic words just in the last, even the last week or so, have just indicated that that is a season of the life of the church that we're currently, we're very aware that we are in. And uh, Owen spoke a couple of weeks ago, just out of that passage in Ephesians, about putting on the full armour of God. And I had already knew I was preaching this Sunday. I don't usually know what I'm going to preach on two weeks before. But I'd already had a phrase, know your enemy. And uh, as he preached, I thought, oh, okay, I think he's going to preach my sermon now. Um, But still felt right, actually, to, to just look at... Uh, knowing our enemy. And we don't often talk about that. Um, There's actually a a great quote from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favourite authors. If you don't know him, he's the author who wrote all the the Narnia stories, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. He wrote those, so he wrote children's stories, but he also wrote lots and lots of Christian books. And uh, he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, human beings, can fall about the devils. He's talking here about about demons and devils and Satan and our enemy. One is to disbelieve in in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. What does he mean by that? Well, what he's saying is that actually, whether you only believe in what you can see and touch, that's what a materialist is, whether you only believe in that and therefore dismiss the very idea of, a, uh, of Satan and devil and demons and spiritual authorities, whether you do that or whether you take an unhealthy interest in them, and pursue them, and pursue the occult, and get over-interested in Satan. Actually, he's happy with both of those. 
And in our society and in our world and in the church community that we can sometimes be part of, we're probably never guilty of the second one, but we can be guilty of the first. Because we can walk out of the door of church and walk back into the world and just think, really? Gosh, is it? No, that just can't be, can't be right. What we've just, I mean, look, there's a, I'm just going to get on a, a number three bus to Crystal Palace. There's no evidence of, there's no evidence of Satan involved here. And he's very pleased when we feel like that. Because actually, that's a dangerous place for us as Christians to be. And so I want us just to look very briefly at this passage where where Peter, in 1 Peter 5, talks about being mindful and watchful and remembering that we have an enemy. And then we're going to look perhaps at some of his techniques and we're going to look at what we might do to resist him. So 1 Peter 5 And it says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Actually, Peter, John, James, many of the writers of the New Testament urge us to be on our guard, to be watchful. All of them do. And you read those letters in the New Testament. It's not just um, Paul who does that, but actually all the apostles who wrote uh, the New Testament will encourage us to be alert and to be on our guard. So as part of being alert and being on our guard, let's look at what the Bible says about some of the enemy's tactics. So here's the first one that I want to just bring out for us. The enemy, Satan, will sometimes sow disunity. That is one of his techniques to destroy the effectiveness of the church. He will sow seeds of disunity. Be watchful for it. Be on your guard. Uh, Paul talks about being aware of a bitter root growing up. And so we've got to keep short accounts with one another. That means that if I've got something against you in love, I need to come to you and say, look, I'm just struggling with this. <laughs> it's probably me. You know, we do, it, we do it nicely. We do it Britishly, don't we? It might be me. But, but actually, let's do it. Let's keep short accounts with one another because he loves to sow disunity. This is what uh, he, Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he's had a real go at the church because they're allowing a man to sleep with his mother-in-law. And they're just allowing it to happen. And he says, some of you are even like celebrating the liberty that we have to do whatever we like now we're in Christ. And he really comes down hard on them in, the, in that first letter and says, look, you've got to bring about um, church discipline on that young man. And not permit that and not just allow it. He's really firm with them. In this second letter, 
It's interesting that in the second letter, by this time, they've clearly heard what he said and they've, they've gone for this young man who's really repented by the sound of it. This is the messages that we pick up reading between the lines in those two letters. But this time they won't forgive him. So they've actually gone for him and now they're not restoring him or forgiving him. And actually, Paul, in the second letter, he writes this. Look, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. I guess they've probably said, well, we could forgive you, but Paul will never forgive you for this. And he's saying, look, look, <laughs> anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In other words, come on, restore one another. Build unity back again. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. See, this is one of his schemes is to sow disunity in the church, to make it hard to forgive. But we're not unaware of his schemes. And so we must keep short accounts with one another. We must be quick to forgive and to restore and to cover one another's sin and to do exactly what our Father does. He remembers our sin no more. And therefore, I have no right to remember yours either. Or actually for you to remember mine. And I'm pleased about that, because you'll see lots of it. But you need to forgive, and I do too. Beware of Satan sowing disunity. Beware the bitter root. He will also sometimes masquerade, the Bible says, as an angel of light. As an angel of light. Yesterday, um, travelling up to um, the wedding... Uh, which was up in central London, this fantastic old Anglican church building, wonderful place, fantastic name, wasn't it as well? What was it? Sepul- Owen, what was it? St. Sepulchre without Newgate, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> wonderful name. And um, almost destroyed it with a drone, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> and uh, on my way up to the church, um, I... Uh, I was travelling on the tube and there was a great big poster for um, um, an, a, a mystic, an Eastern mystic, who's uh, running a big conference up in one of the big conference centres up in London, where you could go and have your inner self, you know, examined and healed. And, and he looked such a lovely guy. I mean, there he was, he was all in his robes in this picture. He was quite elderly, so he was white-haired, and he was looking like your granddad. And he was looking at this po- out of this poster at you as if you would, you would put your whole life in his hands. And uh, it just reminded me, I'm not, I don't have anything particular about that man. I don't know anything about him. But it just reminded me of that passage about Satan masquer- masquerading as an angel of light sometimes. And what appears to be such wonderful news, such tolerance and... And this just feels, oh, this feels harmonising to me. But actually, sometimes that's the enemy masquerading as an angel of light. That passage that talks about that uh, comes again from Corinthians. And Paul is talking here about some false apostles who've come in to try and take the, the church off track. He says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise 
if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We have to be on our guard. We have to be watchful. That's why the church is um, such a good place to be part of. Because if I'm a Bible, in a Bible-believing church where my leaders are submitted to God and they have some form of accountability to others and, and the church is based on Bible teaching, then it's going to help to keep me safe from those who would masquerade as angels of light. And in the book of Revelation, where John talks about the, the, the revelation that he had from Jesus, he talks about those who will come in like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we have to be aware and on our guard. The Bible talks about being aware of not being blown about by every wind of doctrine. It's really easy to read something and think, oh, that, that sounds great, doesn't it? But no, I want to bring this into submission to the church. So, so if I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, this sounds really interesting, let me take this to my small group leader and just... What do you think about this? Let me take it to my leaders. Let me, let me submit it to my mates in the church. Let's, let me keep safe. Let me be on guard because there are people who will appear like angels of light. And who's behind that? It's the enemy who's behind it. So be on your guard. Be watchful. Bring things under the submission of the church so that you can remain safe. So, sometimes he masquerades as an angel of light. Then the Bible says that sometimes he will actually hinder us. So he will actively slow you down. He'll hinder you. And we might think, yeah, but surely we've got authority over uh, Satan and uh, those principalities and powers that the Bible talks about. So surely, you know, nothing he can do will ever stand against us. Well, yes, that is true, but also he can hinder us. And we know that because Paul was hindered. So once again, we read a bit from Paul where he writes this time to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So sometimes he will hinder you what should you do if you feel like do you know what I just feel this is a spiritual attack sometimes we'll talk about that won't we we'll we'll sense you know I don't think this is just a circumstance in life Lord I don't think this is just something that you're bringing to me necessarily just to teach me something although I'm sure you're going to teach me through it but I sense there's something there's something spiritual that is just hindering me here or it's hindering the church what should we do well the first thing we should do is just remember that it's only hindrance. It's only a slowing down. Because Paul also says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So while acknowledging that Satan had hindered him, Still, Paul says, yeah, but nothing can stand against my triumphant walk in Christ. So we shouldn't get discouraged. What should we do if we feel like we're being hindered? We should pray. And we should get others around us to pray with us. Do you know what? I'm just feeling a a hindrance here. There's something, I, I, I can't get breakthrough in this. Do you know what? Let's pray then. Let's pray. 
so that then we can walk in triumphal procession, just as Paul said. So sometimes he will hinder. Sometimes he will distort the Bible. So Satan knows the Bible. He knows it probably better than some of us do. Did you know that? Satan knows the Bible. He can quote it. And uh, we know that because he quoted it to Jesus. But what he does is he distorts it. And so he he doesn't bring it in context. He brings it out of context and tries, therefore, to persuade us. But well, the Bible says that. Quite often that will be in judgment. We might read a passage in the Bible where God is judging his people and the, and the enemy says, yeah, you do that. You do that. Well, no, yeah, no, I do do that. He distorts the Bible. Let's see what he did and let's see how Jesus dealt with it. So he quotes, the Satan quotes the passage from the Old Testament where it says, he will command his angels to lift you up. So we just have the passage up. So this is when Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil and the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. So here you go, Jesus. This is in your Bible. This is your God says this, right? Okay. He will command his angels concerning you. And, and here's another one, just so if that one scripture there isn't enough, here's another one. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What does Jesus do? He comes back and says, yes, but it's also written, you shall not put your God to the test. What does that, what does that illustrate for us? It illustrates for us that we should have what's called the whole counsel of God. In other words, we should make sure that we have a good understanding and knowledge of the Bible as a whole. Because yes, the Bible might say that, but actually in the next verse it will say that. And that brings some balance. So be careful. Be careful about taking the Bible out of context. And sometimes we can do that even to justify ourselves. But yeah, but this verse here, you know, I just feel that the Lord's saying that I should do this because because there's this verse here. And yes, he may be, but actually, do you know what? I just need to check that out. I need to talk with somebody else. I need to see, because in this verse, he also says this. So beware that the devil knows the Bible really well. And sometimes he will quote it at you. And you need to have the full and whole counsel of God to be able to be wise. The devil will also often accuse. He will often accuse. And, uh, and there's a passage in Revelation that talks about him being the accuser of the brethren. He will often accuse you. That is one of his main weapons against us. He will accuse you. And the wonderful thing is, and we'll look at this passage just at the end to finish in a moment, is that actually the Bible talks about the accuser being thrown down. But that doesn't stop him still coming and accusing us. And so this is what I do. I've got verses that I use when I feel accused by the enemy. And you know what? The thing is also, when he accuses you, he's often telling you the truth about yourself. So it's not, it's not always telling you a lie about yourself. It's actually sometimes he's telling you the truth. You know what? You, 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 you really snapped at that person, didn't you? You're just, you? What sort of Christian are you? And at times like that, 
It's really important to do what Jesus did, to quote the Bible back at Satan. And one of the things that I would do is I quite often will use, it would be, wouldn't it, with me, I will use this verse from a hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, up would I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, get away, Satan, you're gone. Because he will condemn you. And he will accuse you. But if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Quote the, the, quote the Bible back to him. Or quote a, a song or a hymn. And this is the last one. And perhaps this one is, is the one that he's most passionate about. And it's the most dangerous one, I think. And it's where he started with Eve. He misrepresents God to us. He misrepresents God to us. Listen to what he says when he comes to Eve. He says, when he's tempting Eve to sin, to eat the apple, he says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. What's, what is he trying to do there? He's trying to persuade Eve, and he does it successfully, that actually God doesn't have her best interests at heart. That he's trying, God is trying to keep keep something away from her. He's trying to rob Eve of something. He doesn't have her best interests at heart. With, With the boundaries that God has set for Adam and Eve, Satan is saying, yeah, he's just restricting you there, isn't he? Yeah. Do you know what? He doesn't have your best interests at heart. And sometimes that's his most powerful weapon. He misrepresents God. And suddenly we don't see God as the one who lovingly says, do you know what? I'm going to take you through this. I'm going to be with you. So just stay strong. Keep walking with me. Or actually, God, this feels really restrictive to me. Do you really love me? It would be so much nicer if I could just go and do that. or, Or there's that. That's lifestyle change that I would just love to, and you know, and, and actually, just a, you're just restrictive, God. And the enemy says, "Yeah, that's that's the message I want you to get. That he doesn't have your best interests at heart. That he doesn't actually really love you, and that actually what he's about is restricting you and pushing you down and crushing you. You just go and do it because you know he's just he's not got your best interests at heart. And that was Satan's most successful tactic, really." And quite often it is. So, remember, at times like that, when you are struggling and when you're thinking, I don't understand, God, why you are allowing this to happen. I don't understand why my life's going this way when I thought it was going to go that way. I don't understand why this person is sick. I don't understand, God, why my my job hasn't worked out the way it has. I don't understand why we're just struggling to have children. I don't understand all this stuff. I thought you loved me. Then you need to take your moment and remind yourself, yes, you do, God. I can't see the outworking of what you're going to do yet, but I know you love me and therefore I will submit to you again. That's what the psalmists do time and time and time again. They come and they complain and they lament before God. But nine times out of ten they'll then say, but 
There'll be a but. But you rule. But your loving kindness is, is better than life. Come back to him when you're feeling like that. Don't listen. Don't be taken in by the enemy's lie that he doesn't love you, that he's just trying to restrict you or crush you or he's not interested in you actually. So do you know what? Just go and take care of it yourself because he doesn't really care. Don't listen to that. That's the enemy. That's one of his tactics. You tell him, Satan, I'm not unaware of your schemes. I'm not unaware. Get someone to pray with you. We'll finish with this. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. When you and and I find that the devil seems to be actively involved, when as a church we feel like we're under attack, do you know why? It's because he's angry, because his time is short. Isaac Watts was a hymn writer about three and a half centuries ago and a theologian, and he wrote these words, which we'll finish with. Now let my soul arise... And tread the tempter down. My captain leads me forth to conquest and a crown. March on, don't fear to win the day, though death and hell obstruct the way. Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage and malice on, I shall be safe. For Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.